Rav Moshe is talking about uh, different aspects of the Rav supervision, you see, you know. But remember, the main concept of the supervision is what goes after a person's acts. Because really there's supervision before a person does anything, and there's supervision, hashgocho, after a person does something, you know. Uh, so the concept of supervision before a person does anything, right, <clears throat> which he will talk about a little later, next parak actually, is the concept of the setup, the assignment of a person, you see. And there's a whole concept of what the Bansham does <clears throat> is he assigns each neshama to a specific uh, situation or predicament, as you want to, you could, we can call it, you know. Uh, and based on that assignment, then he looks to see what you do, and then <clears throat> afterwards he judges you. So that's the second supervision that he does. So in a certain sense, you're always under the supervision, the hashgocha, of the Rabban Islam. You know, before you do anything, and after you've done something. <clears throat> and of course, uh, the, the, certainly the main hashgocha is that, you know, after you've done something in this world, and then of course you have the ongoing supervision, which is eternal in Toilam Haba. So the Rabban is always looking at you, he's always evaluating you. You know, there's no such thing as being free you know, of the uh, <coughs> overview of God. No such thing, you know. <coughs> Let's put this way, he's got his eye on you totally, completely, you know, like I say, before you enter the world, <coughs> after you enter the world in a particular situation, whatever the assignment is, then after you've done what you have to do, then he judges you. And then, of course, the consequences of the judgment is Ilam Habo, or annihilation, you know, and so on. <clears throat> so that's a very important concept is that every single being from the largest to the smallest, ants, anything, is always under the supervision of the Rabbi Shalom. That's a very important idea and so on, you know. A hashgacha klolis is what's called a general supervision, you know. Um, and in, in, in certain ways, there's an argument, you know, uh, is there such a thing as hashgacha klolis, general, where <clears throat> each individual member of the species is evaluated, you know, um, or is or are there beings, you know, that are not, that each individual is not evaluated, but rather, you know, they are subject to events that have to happen to them based on the survival of the entire species. So, how you is see. It, if Hashem is supervising every being from the biggest <coughs> to the smallest, then how does that fit in with Hashem close general supervision? Well, they, they would say that there is no general supervision. They would say there's only hashgacha pratis on everything. There's no such thing as uh, any any being, any creature, not being evaluated based on its own acts. So who? So the other yeah, side so of the argument 
that said there is such kach of klalas, they think they say that Hashem is not involved at all, or just Hashem? No, Hashem is always involved, but is He involved specifically for that organism? This yeah, this so ant. Hashem, Hashem is, we learned way back <coughs> in the beginning that Hashem anyway recreates creation every instant. Yeah, but, yeah. So yeah. that would automatically mean that each ant <coughs> is being recreated like a slide every moment. No, no, but you're, so you're into the, what determines their existence. I'm into the supervision of that creature. You're into what makes it be. Yeah, that's so a, that's makes it be, but the supervision of this particular ant. You know, what is God's interaction with that ant? That's the concept of Hashgacha. Here at this time doing this thing, this particular ant, is only because Hashem wants, uh, wants a certain environment. Yes. That this species should be perceived or, or if, if affect the environment in a certain way. Yes. Now this ant particularly needs to be here at this time. Yeah, but does that mean, yeah, yeah. I need a swarm here. Yeah, but the, a swarm here, or he looks at each individual ant, right. that ant has to be here. Right, but every yeah. ant is placed for you know the benefit of the swarm. Every, uh, certainly, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's a different topic in terms of, you know, the clothes. It's, a, it's an argument. You know, it's not one, there's a, there's a machrikas here. This one with the Rambam and... <coughs> yeah, Rambam, Rambam. Ram, Ram, the Ramchal, is it Masha, what the Ramchal holds? The Baal Shem Tov held every leaf. Well, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <coughs> Where it falls, what it falls, how it falls. Everything is super directed. Yeah. So, that's the, how does he hold in that machlekes? It would seem that the Ramchal would hold that. That what's called is a hashgocha ishes. There is a uh, personal hashgocha. It would seem that, you know. But anyway, yeah. But anyway, I... Is Yehuda's name? I want to get into the Ramchal. What? The perfect example is Yehuda's name has Yud K in it. Why is that a perfect? That name, No, 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 but no, no, no. Everybody admits that a human has direct, total hashgach, right? We're not talking about. No, no, but we're not talking about people. We're talking about creatures like ants, insects. You know that. That's where the arguments are. Nobody and nobody uh, denies the fact that a human being, whether it be Goy or Jew, does have Ashgocha Protus. Everybody admits to that. You know what I'm saying? So anyway Anyway, <coughs> uh what's what the Ramchal says here is that <coughs> uh at one of at the end of a person's life, okay, Oilam Habo as a, is a spiritual place. Okay? That's fact one. Fact two. Not, in order to get, for a person we know, to get to Oilam Habo, he needs to be prepared for a spiritual existence. That we know. Fact three. There, the way he prepares himself for a spiritual existence, because the existence in Oilam Habo is not physical. It's not material, physical. It is spiritual then he has to be spiritual, you see. If you want to join a club, you know what I'm saying? Then you have to be able to do what that club does. The club called Ilum Habo is purely spiritual, so you need to be spiritual. If you in no way have become spiritual in Ilum Hazeh, right, you won't get into Ilum Habo, you see. It's like a requirement, you know, to join the club, there's a certain requirement, you know. 
Now, um, the Rabbanisham judges each person. Now, there is a certain minimum amount of spirituality that you have to have achieved. And that will enable you to get into Ilam Habo because there is a <coughs> spiritual level in Ilam Habo that is minimal. It is a threshold. If you are below that, even if you're spiritual, but if you are below the spiritual uh, level of Ilam Habo, then you can't get in. There is a minimum, yes. And therefore, you need to be spiritual at a certain minimum. Uh, now, what does that mean, minimum? It means that you have to have done a certain amount of uh, things that will enable you to be spiritual and therefore experience Ilam Habo, which is a spiritual place. But what takes place in Ilam Habo? The answer is attachment to God, you see. Because the Bansham, although he's not spiritual per se, God is beyond spirituality, but Ilam Habo experience is spiritual, you know. In any case, so in order to attach to God in Ilam Habo, you have to be spiritual at a certain level. Like I said, if you're not that, then you don't get Ilam Habo. If you are that, then you get Ilam Habo. So there's a cutoff point. That's a very important idea. <clears throat> the concept <clears throat> that there is a spiritual threshold for Ilam Habo. So it's possible for somebody to be spiritual, but it's not spiritual enough to enjoy dvekus, which is the, the experiencing of the divine directly, you see. Now, we don't know what that cutoff point is, but obviously what Ramchal is saying is that there is a cutoff point, which is interesting, you know. So obviously you have to strive to be as ruchni, as spiritual as possible. You know, because there is a cutoff point. Now the question is, what is spirituality? What's it mean to be spiritual? You know, and, and there's so many different views of what that <coughs> means. You know, it's like yeah, you, you, you know, something like a guy says, you know, I went to this concert, you know, and they were playing this music, and boy, was it a spiritual experience. You know that kind of stuff. You know, <coughs> it, it's amazing what people think is spiritual. You see. And, uh, and therefore, in a certain sense, it needs a definition. What does it mean to be spiritual? You know? Can listening to a concert be spiritual? Music could affect your emotions. Oh, nobody, the, nobody denies that. But there are people that call spirituality so many different things. You know, music, wait, wait, music. I can say, you know, I saw this painting, a boy, this painting maybe spiritual I, you know, what a, or I heard the lecture you know I heard the lecture and uh, you know well you know and, and that really took me off to become spiritual you know so the, the real question is what, what is spirituality ultimately out of body experiences aren't necessarily spiritual no so that's what I want to explain David played a harp so we could get into a prof Prophetic. prophetic yeah, but, uh, 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 but the question is, what? What? The Grua. It says? It's like the Shah Nagina, that's the highest. You know, Shah is like music brings you to the highest. 
It brings you, but what is spirituality? That is the question. You know, what Toma, what brings you there, you know? What exactly does it mean to be spiritual? You know, and the idea to that, you know, as far as we're concerned, you know, uh, to look at it, you know. <clears throat> well, first, let's take a look at this, okay? There are physical experiences. We know that. You know, you eat a great meal, right? There are, uh, traveling, there are many physical uh, experiences which are clearly physical. They're bodily, right? That's what it means to be, uh, you know, a uh, physical experience. Uh, there's also emotional experiences, obviously, because man has an emotional dimension to him, right? You know, all kinds of emotions, you know, there's, uh, which would, you know, there's love, you know, there's kindness. There's a lot of emotions, uh, you know, gentility, uh, you know. Um, uh, Play a marching song to go into battle. <laughs> Get you ready to fight. No. Anyway, <clears throat> there are clearly emotions which somebody could identify as, as, spirit, as uh, spiritual, but they're not. They are emotional experiences, you know. Um, no, no. It's because man is composed of many dimensions. Physical, spiritual, uh, excuse me, physical, uh, what he called emotional. He's composed of emotion, right? So he has emotional experiences, right? What was that? Cognitive. Yeah, I was going to say that. Then there's intellectual experiences, right? Uh, you know, you're learning something, you're reading something. You learn, let's say you're learning a Gemara. And all of a sudden you have this tremendous feeling. Wow, <coughs> you feel great. So that's basically an emotional experience that is fed by a cognitive experience. You know, there are intellectual pleasures. You know, if, you, if you're working on a problem and all of a sudden you see the answer, you've solved it. You know, there's a tremendous emotional satisfaction. But it's emotional, you see. Um, and so, therefore, you can have physical experiences, you can have emotional experiences, like I said. You can also have, like I say, intellectual or cognitive experiences, right? So you can certainly have all those, you know. <clears throat> then there are experiences which are, n are not physical, really. They're not emotional and they're not cognitive. What are they? Mental. Yes. There are experiences that you can have where you can exist on a mental plane. It's a lot of psychic stuff, you know. Uh, for instance, um, um, let's say, uh, it's not common really, uh, obviously, but let's say in, in the yogis, you know, these guys, right? They meditate, right? Okay, and when they meditate, what happens is, is that they are able to shut down thinking, feeling and sense bodily sensations actually shut it down you see and all of a sudden the they become what's what's called an intensified sense of self you know and they experience something which is not it's not like i say it's not bodily sensations it's not emotions and it's not thinking they can stop all that and they just think about themselves their ego what is that, you see? So what that is, is a mental experience. Because a person does have a mental area of his life. You know, there are many things that we have which we don't really realize. For instance, you know, radio waves. What is that? It's part of the physical universe, right? But I wouldn't call it physical. It's really energy. Is energy physical? 
it's part of the world, so it's part of the physical universe, but it's not a physical thing, although clearly it interacts with physical things because you, your radio comes on, right? You're actually taking the energy of these electromagnetic waves and somehow uh, making, reproducing them and, and you're listening and so on, you know? Uh, but there are many experiences which are mental because we have, ment we have the mental capacity uh, to, to uh, experience different uh, phenomenon, phenomena. But that's not spiritual. A yogi guy meditating and achieving a tremendous sense of, uh, of individuality or ego or sense of self is not having a spiritual experience. He is having a mental experience. And that's, I feel that's their mistake. Because since it's not the regular physical experience, then it must be a spiritual experience. Mistake. There is what's called a mental experience. Then the question is, what does it mean to be spiritual? What's that mean? <coughs> when you're praying, that's spiritual. Well, no, no you're praying. What do you mean? I don't you mind. That's spiritual. It's not spiritual. You know, you pray and you daven and that's it. What, what does it mean to become spiritual? What does that mean? You know, in this world, basically, you know, what spirituality, spirituality really is, in many ways, is a cognitive, intellectual understanding, you see, because you can never leave the physical. You're in your body and that's the end of it, you know. But what you can achieve is understanding of certain ideas, and that is spiritual. Why is that different than why? You're getting to the difference between understanding Torah and understanding... Because man's thinking does produce consequences. It does. You didn't really experience, you didn't really experience the spirituality. No, you can't because you're physical. You can't All experience... You all I did was maybe touch it and, 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 and create, a, create a consequence. You didn't actually experience spirituality. No. You can't be... You, you're in the physical universe. You can't be spiritual. I, I am Navi. Who? What about Navu? Ah, Navu is different. Navu is a true spiritual experience. But even that goes through the physical senses. You can't divorce yourself from your physical body. The answer is not <coughs> spirituality is that we don't. What was that? The answer to the question, what does it mean for us to experience spirituality, the answer is we don't. Not really, because you can't, you're physical. So even though the but conscious you, consciousness goes up to, let's say, Yitzira, like you said, Yitzira by Nevoa. Where should you go to Yitzira or Bria? No, by Nevoa, yeah. you can stand in Bria okay, and so look into Atsilas. In but not really. Well, the, the question is, what is he experiencing? What is a Novi experience? So you're saying that he's at best experienced a mental state of cognitive consequences. He's never actually experiencing Bria. It's like he's touching Bria with gloves. Well, he's. Let, let, let's first. Let's see what it is. You know, look, if you're a Novi, right? What a Novi does, and this is interesting, you know, by going through a certain, uh, you know, procedure, he's Machavan Seamus. There's a whole procedure that a Novi does. Once he does that, right, then what happens is, is that the Shekhinah, 
sends down a shefa. It sends out a true spiritual force, of which we don't know really what that is. We're talking about the divine presence, right? In other words, this Navi, everybody in fact, is connected to the Shekhinah. That's your root, ultimately. So what happens is, is because of the procedure that he's going through, right, he generates a shefa, which is a, a divine vibration. I'll use that as a, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, you know. He will create a divine vibration, you know, which let's call it a shefa, that will come down. And remember, it's, it's his root neshama. It will come down, right? But the shefa is from his root neshama. The shefa is from his root neshama that is connected to the shechina. So it all starts from the shechina, goes into his root, where he's rooted into that shechina, right? And he will generate a specific, for lack of a better word, vibration, you know, energy. What? Signal. Well, it's a signal, but let's call it a vibration. It's a it's a, it's a a divine vibration that is truly spiritual because you know we, we have no idea what it is and what that will do will impinge on his neshama you see now his neshama will maintain that vibration right and that will impinge on his nefesh tachtoina everybody has two souls two different dimensions one dimension is called a nefesh elyoina it means the true, what we understand to be the true neshama, the true soul, right? The real neshama is called nefesh el okay? So that divine vibration will hit and impinge on that neshama. Then the neshama will then send out or carry that divine vibration, so to speak, and that will impinge on what's called the animal soul. Everybody has a nefesh tachtoina, or else they <coughs> wouldn't exist. The so nefesh tachtoina is what allows you to live. You can call it the life force, perhaps, but everybody has that nefesh tachtoina, you see? Now, that will impinge on the nefesh tachtoina, and then what will happen is the nefesh tachtoina, right, will immediately vibrate the imagination, and he will see a movie. That movie is the nevuah, in other words, whatever the Shekhinah wants to send to this guy, let's say an upcoming war or an upcoming, uh, you know, uh, good tidings, right? So all of a sudden, those good tidings, whatever they are, let's say, or let's say a war, you know, it will impinge on the Nefesh Dachtoinam and that, which is the Nefesh Bahamas, whatever, and that will uh, influence his imagination, Okay, and number one, and he automatically, he will see one. He will have a visual representation of the Nevoah. And number two, he will have a mental, intellectual interpretation of the Nevoah, of the, whatever the message is, you see. But it's going through him as a person, you see. In other words, in some way, the spiritual force right he becomes the receiver but the actual uh the actual message or signal that he receives in a, in a certain sense is physical but <clears throat> it will be visual it will be intellectual 
concept, an insight, you see? <coughs> and that's the nevuah. You see, therefore, we, we cannot experience true spirituality, you know, because we don't live in that world. We are here. Nevoah is the perfect example of the interface between a spiritual experience, so to speak, <coughs> and the physical reception of that spiritual experience. So there, there's like, there's an interaction between the two, but what the person ultimately experiences is he experiences the spiritual uh, force or vibration through his physical body. And that itself is incredible because we don't even know what that is. I mean, what Anove felt was beyond belief. The, what Anove felt was the greatest access and the greatest feeling of, of spirituality. But it was through the body. Look, the body itself can have many different feelings, experiences, you know. Uh, you know, there are different levels of pleasure, you see. What the, what the level of pleasure, if you use that word, well, you know, that a Novi experiences, we don't know unless you're a Novi. But it was different. It wasn't like anything you've ever experienced, you see. It's an experience, like I say, through the physical medium of the body. But what that was is unknown to us because we're not Novium. But it was the closest thing you can get to spiritual experience. Like the Zohar was the same thing as from the other side? Yeah. <clears throat> Avoid the Zohar, well, the... That same, that same level of Nebuah, just, you know, getting well, the Shepherd from, from, from Zohar. Well, that's not, that, that's not Avoid the that's Kishof. I mean, that's a different, that's a different department. You know, you're dealing with the Sutton and the Sitrachra and so on, you know. Avedi Zara has got an idol in front of you, right? And you're worshipping the idol. You know what I'm saying? That, yeah. The what draw. Was that? What was the point of that? Well, what's interesting about that is that, you know, we don't understand what that drive was. To us, it looks like absolute nonsense. You know, why in the world would a guy sit there and worship an idol? Was he crazy? To us, it looks like they're a bunch of maniacs, you know? However, however, <clears throat> As they say, Rav Ashi once gave a shear. This is famous, you know. I don't get into it, but once gave a shear, and he indicated that his Kiddush <coughs> was greater than Menashe. Anyway, so whatever, that night, whatever, Menashe, the king, who was terrible, came to him in a dream, and he said, you think you're smarter than me? And he asked him a question, which Rav Ashi could not answer. So, he, he, so Rav Ashi said to him, wait a minute, if you're so smart, what are you running after Avadizara for? You know, if, if you're that intelligent, why are you worshipping idols? Which is ridiculous. Uh, so Menashe told him, hey, if you were in my generation, you would have picked up the hem of your garments, right? And you would run to be Avadizara. You'd run. You know, so let's take it easy in that sense, you know? Don't think you're better than me, you know? Now, what does that mean? Ravashi would have run to be over Zohar? Yeah, Kontamanashi would have run. We don't know what that drive is because it's been exterminated by the Chazal. They destroyed the Yetzirah of Zohar. But to get an inkling of it, apparently, you know, it's, man had this incredible drive to connect to the spiritual. You know, you know? Like, we don't know what that is. Today, man has an incredible drive to run from the spiritual. 
if you think about it, what's going on today. I mean, everybody's out of here, you know. Everybody's running for the physical, and they don't even want to touch the spiritual, you know. But in those days, apparently, because then it would be an equal nisayim, you know, everybody had this incredible drive to connect to Ruchnius. <coughs> so therefore, to them, Ruchnius, you know, even if they had to make up the Ruchnius, which is what they did, you know, they had to imagine the Avodah Zarah is a real God, you know what I'm saying? You know, and just worship the idol, and so on. So it's, it's astounding that he's making up the Ruchnius. What are you doing that for? Because he had this incredible, it's a taiva that we cannot relate with, you know. Uh, that he, he had to connect to Ruchnis, spirituality, you see? But anyway... That was taken away. What about it was exterminated. It's more than... Yeah, it was, you know, and... Because they... What? Does Ruka Kodesh still exist? Yes. That's different. That's... That, no, no, no. How does that, that, that work then? How does that work then? Remember, there is spiritual... Remember... There is experience, spiritual, experiencing spirituality, and then there are the consequences of spirituality. Ruach HaKodesh is a consequence of spirituality. Instead of, instead of Nevoah, which is a whole different type of experience, many times a person, you know, will just know something. He knows it, and he knows it's true, and he knows it certainly. That's Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh is an incredibly watered-down version of Nevoah. But it's basically the same thing, where you know something to be true, you know. And the way you know it is the same idea. It comes from the Shekhinah and so on. But it's not, there is no attachment to the Shekhinah. That was what was so special about Nevoah. In Nevoah, you were connected to the Divine Presence, to the Shekhinah. And therefore, there was that whole chain of events that ultimately gave you the message of Nevoah. You see, Ruach HaKodesh, you're not connected to the Shekhinah. You could have Ruach HaKodesh because some Malach decided to tell you something. We call it intuition now? What? Is, it, is that intuition? No. It's spiritual intuition. Because it's Ruchni. In the sense that it's the consequences of a Ruchni, a spiritual mechanism. That's how you get it. No, there are many tzaddikim that have Ruach Kodesh. You know what I'm saying? Uh, which means that they know things that you couldn't possibly <coughs> know, and, not and, and they, they could not possibly know. I mean, there are many stories, you know, of Abraham Kanievsky, uh, who clearly has Ruach Kodesh, and certainly the Chazoyinish. Uh, there are many Gedoyim, they clearly have Ruach Kodesh, which means that they knew things because they were attached to Ruchnius, the spiritual dimensions. A Novi is attached to the Shekhinah itself, and that's how he knows. You know, Ruach Hodesh, like I said, is a watered-down version. But what I'm trying to say is that, but we don't experience spiritual experiences. What we can experience, okay, is physical experiences that are generated by spiritual domain. That, that's just like Nevoah. He experienced it in a physical way, his feelings and his thinking and his seeing and all that, but it was generated by a, a spiritual reality. Didn't you tell me once that anyway. Racha Kodesh, there are two forms of Racha Kodesh. One of them is the true Racha Kodesh, and one of them is the, what we have today that people mis 
misnamed. Yeah, Israel. yeah, yeah. Shura HaKadosh was basically like Rabbi Shmuel was able to kind of go halfway. Meaning he was True. able to There's Nevoah, which is prophecy. The level below that is called Ruach HaKadosh. True Ruach HaKadosh. And then what that was is, let's say Rabbi Shmuel, you know, Rabbi Shmuel, Kohen Gadol, whatever, what they would do is meditate on a divine name. Again, Yehudim and Shemus and all that, right? And all of a sudden, they would be connected to the spiritual worlds. Not necessarily Shekhinah, right? And the connection, however it works, the energy, let's say, of a certain spiritual world, let's say, would vibrate. That's the only way I can describe it. It would hit the guy. And that guy would see into that oilam. Like Rabbi Shmuel, when he went up, right? What did he do? He went, he, he, all of a sudden, the vibration removed the physical barrier and he was able to see, look into Olam Yitzira. That's how far, that's how high he went. And, which, and then he saw a man, wasn't a man, it was a malach, and he spoke to the malach because he wanted to find out if the gzera, the decree of the, the, the ten martyrs if it can be cancelled, annulled, no way. That's what the mouth said. you know, abadam, pargad, and so on. You know, that's ruach kodesh. Ruach kodesh is the ability to connect to a spiritual dimension, but again, you only can see it through the physical capacities of whatever you have. But you are looking into a spiritual dimension. So when it means you stand in Yitzira or Bria. Well, so that, well, that's not, nowadays, Ruach HaKadosh is just... Well, that means how many partitions were there between you and that oilam? It was a different experience, but whatever you were experiencing, it's like, it's like a guy walks into a, is walking down a New York City street and then walks into a shul, I mean, in our watered-down world, it's something, it's a different experience. Or a Yom Kippur, let's, let's say you walk down a New York City street, A, on a Tuesday, and B, you're, you're on Yom Kippur. So those are two completely different, and one's more spiritual, so to speak. <laughs> As a, so that's what it was like. We're still, we're still interacting with spirituality, experiencing uh, physicality, and experiencing physicality. Yeah, that's what but, I'm saying. But, but our experience is completely different. So that's what it was like. That's what you're saying. The difference between walking down New York City Street on a Tuesday and a Yom Kippur in Shul is well, yeah, what, I'm, what, what that was like. It's a different physical experience, yes. you know. Prophecy, Nevoa, a person would see into Atsilus. But we would only see the, the physical screen. But again, again, it's only through the physical instrumentality that you have. The conduits have to be physical. <clears throat> but his vision and his emotional feeling is because he looked into the world of Atsilus, which is the world of God. He could actually look into it. In other, and the difference between where would he be standing meant how many different partitions, barriers, you know, were between him and, and the vision, you know. That depended on how, how great of a novi he was. Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest of all Nevi'im. What does that mean? That means he was able to stand at the end of what's called Oilem Bria. So that I wanted there's Zatzilus, which is where God is. Bria is where the throne is. And then the Shamas originate from that. And there's some Malachim there. Then you have Yitzira, which is basically all Malachim. And then you have this world, Asiya, and so on. And then you have what's called the Olam HaShafel, which is this world, physical world. A Navi 
by doing what he did, was able to stand at the end, all the way up. He was able to look into, from the standpoint of Yitzira, which means Moshe Rabbeinu had no barrier in front of him, which is incredible. And he had an unbelievable clear vision. But he looked into Atzilus. He didn't. He wasn't in Atzilus. Means he wasn't in the world of God, so to speak. But he was like right outside the house, <clears throat> with no barrier and no door. So, wait, wait, wait. So therefore, he could look into what's called Atzilus, which is, let's say, the God's residence. But there was no barriers, no door. Everybody else had doors, doors, barriers, barriers, and so on, depending on how great of a Navi you were. Uh, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest Navi, because he had no barriers other than the fact that he wasn't in the house. So his barrier was he was out. Yeah, that's I respect. Wait, so that he had no barriers, but what he did have was he wasn't in the house. It wasn't in. So, you know, so let's say that was the minimal of vision or clarity you could have. Everybody else, <clears throat> everybody else stood in Bria, which is outside, let's say, on the lawn. On the lawn, right? And the question was how many different uh, shields or barriers were there that the vision, the vibration, had to go through. <clears throat> you see? Finally, you get to Yecheskel, Anovi, you know, by the time you got to him, what happened is he was no longer on the lawn, right? He stood in the Olim Yitzira, you see? But he could still look into the house. Every Novi, that's what prophecy is. You can look into Atzilus, you can look into the house where God is. It's incredible perception. The question is, how many barriers were there in front of you? So the average Novi was in the lawn, let's say the lawn of the guy's house. Right? Yechezka already, prophecy had so descended that he was standing outside in the street, <clears throat> right? And he could look into the house, but he had to look through the street, through the lawn, to look into the house. And even, and his vision was beyond belief. Because the whole Kabbalistic Maisim Merkava, which is the whole framework of Kabbalah, he's the one who revealed. Can you imagine what he saw? That he's revealing the whole Kabbalistic structure and framework and so on. And he's standing outside in the street, looking through the lawn, looking through the gates, the lawn and so on. So we, we cannot even imagine, that's Yecheskel. We cannot imagine, you know, Yeshaya Novi or Yemio. Forget about Moshe Rabbeinu. We have no understanding of what that vision is. <clears throat> yes. What happened there? There, that's because the Rabbanshan removed the doors. and He removed everything. He, in other words, it's not that she saw more, it doesn't mean that, she, you know, she could have been in Yetzirah looking in, but what the Barsham did is he removed an enormous amount of barriers. Wait, he removed an enormous amount of barriers. So that's, uh, so therefore, but this is all Navur because they're all looking into the house. The question is how far back are they, you see? Now, Ruch HaKodesh, now is you don't look into the house the house is shut you see and the lawn is shut you can no longer get into the lawn to look into the house that's out Ruch HaKodesh is where you can stand on the street right 
and look in the, into the street. No, you can't look at the lawn. You cannot see Bria. You're outside. But what you can do is stand in Yetzirah, which is a street, and talk to the beings, spiritual beings, in the street. That you can do. You see? And those are the angels. So Ruach HaKodesh, in many ways, is an unbelievable come down of Nevoah. However, you can still look into the spiritual world called Yetzirah. means you can stand in it, so to speak. And talk to denizens, residents of Olam Yitzirah. And that's what he did. That's Rabbi Akiva, you know, Rabbi, the four who entered Pardes. Pardes was really Olam Yitzirah, Ruch HaKodesh. It was Olam Yitzirah, and they were able to converse with Malachim. That's what they did, you see. But today, we don't have that anymore. The primary reason why we, do, we cannot look into the house, that's out. And we certainly cannot even do Ruch HaKodesh, that's out, Right? is because of Tumor. Well, for the main reason also, we're not great enough. We don't know the procedures, you see. But part of the problem is Tumor. We are unclean in the sense of spiritual. We're Tame. And if you are Tame, you cannot in any way reach into a spiritual domain. You cannot see into a spiritual domain. The Tumor does not allow you. What made Ben Azai go crazy and go mad in Pardes? That's different. Now you're asking me one one of the events of that, you know. I'm just trying to describe you the different uh, visions that you can have and what you can see and so on, you know. No. Nobody has Ruach HaKodesh, that type of Ruach HaKodesh. Remember, Ruach HaKodesh is really a smaller form of Nevoah. <coughs> Nobody has that. What However, what today people do have okay is there is a thing called Gilelio it means there are connections to the spiritual world if you're Zoycha the Elio comes to visit you you know what yeah yeah Yeah. who wait so one of the one of the spiritual phenomena so to speak that you can have today you can have like I say Gilelio is one you can have a Magid or the Ramchal had a Magid a Magid is an angel, whatever, that speaks to you through your own throat. All of a sudden, somebody take, takes a hold of your throat and he's talking to you, right? And he's revealing divine secrets, you know? So that is possible to have. The third form of spirituality is a prophetic dream. There are people who have dreams which are, can be prophetic-like. It's called light prophecy, you know, and it's where they dream of something, and that's a real spiritual experience. Again, but that, that happens because, you know, you, in some way you are connected to a spiritual world, and it comes down. Uh, but all of these things can only be experienced through the physical body, physical dimension, even though they are, you know, the, the source of the information is a spiritual domain. However, the conduits, the mechanism, is physical. You see, so that's that, that's a very important uh, idea of how. So these are the ways you can experience uh, physical, uh, spiritual phenomena, and so on. You know, Moshe and Harsinai. What about him? I think he once told indicated that was different. Yes, Moshe and Harsinai. Now remember, most prophets they're grounded in this world. They got two, pe- two feet planted on the planet, you know. It's their mind that takes off, you see. 
right? But remember, they're still here. Moshe Rabbeinu by Matantura left the planet. That means his physical body, actually probably physically, physically he left the planet. We don't know how it works, you know. And he actually not only saw into those, those spiritual worlds, right? But he was there. That's, that's like, what? You know, that's why he can converse with the Malachim. That's why for 40 days he didn't eat or drink. Why didn't he eat or drink? You see, prophets must eat or drink, right? But since Moshe Rabbeinu went into a Olam Yitzira, in Olam Yitzira, the physical becomes neutralized. You no longer have to eat or drink to survive. It becomes a neutral piece of matter. It's interesting. All drives are gone. So he's standing in Yitzira, you're actually in Yitzira with his body in Yitzira, with no physical drives, doesn't have to eat, drink, or whatever, and obviously the body is sustained by its physical, by its spiritual attachments, and so on. And he's talking to Malachim, there's a whole dialogue going on. You know, the famous dialogue where they say, well, what do you need the Torah for? We want it, and so on, you know? But that was a, that, that's an experience that, you know, whoever had that, really. To ready to be in that world, and then of course the main thing is he came back. You know, most guys who get into that place don't come back. You know, that's yeah. Well, he didn't come back. Right. And he jumped in with the guys with the Sutton's knife. He swallowed my body. He didn't come back. No, yeah, he wasn't one of my boys. He was gone Eden probably, but he wasn't. He went in there alive. No, but the 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 the. the, the uh, the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu is he came back. Oh, these guys go and they stay, you know, and so on, you know, he, and so on, you know. So these are all different types of spiritual experiences, that's true, you know. But remember, in the end, you know, as long as you're here, you will experience all this stuff physically. Now, we, again, we don't know what the emotional experience is of experiencing spiritual vibrations. You know what I'm saying? Because something comes down. And some, that does something to our emotions. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we don't know what that is. Uh, uh, you know. Um, so what's left for us today? If we don't have that, how are we going to be spiritual? No, no, no. So here's the idea. Because there are physical sensations, right? With, uh, which are the consequence of spiritual uh, uh, acts that you do. When a, for instance, when a person, let's say a person, um, he davens, tefillah, prayer, right? And he really gets into the prayer where God is actually in front of him in the sense that he, he really feels he's conversing with God. Okay, you know, that's a, that's a very lofty way. You know, most guys, you know, tefillah is used as an experience to travel around the world. And just think about what happened yesterday, tomorrow, I'm taking a trip, next day, you know. But there are certain people that actually can get into prayer where they truly feel as if they're dialoguing or standing in the presence of God. Then they will experience an emotion, you see, which is the consequence of a spiritual event. But we don't know what that is unless you're doing that. Tzaddikim who are tremendously into mitzvahs, prayer, or, and so on, do experience something, you see. But it's not spiritual because we are physical. But it is an emotion or some kind of experience which is ecstatic. 
that it is. Now, you maybe want to label that as spiritual. Fine. But, you know what I'm saying? But basically, it still has to go through the physical body. You know what I'm saying? But it, it is an emotion. It's an experience. It's a sensation, whatever it is, right? Which is incredibly ecstatic. You see? So, in a certain sense, let's call that spiritual. Without the experience... It's a ridiculous definition. Putting, putting on to film is supposed to connect you directly, right? Yes. Won't that do it? Without <coughs> getting a no. feeling? No, it won't do that. You, you know, it, it won't, you know. It all, a, a, a great deal depends on the mind, the intention of the person, the focus. Yeah, tefillin can do it if you are focused on the tefillin <coughs> in terms of what it does and so on. Yeah, but again... <coughs> It requires your mind, you know. It does. It, it's not just putting it on the box and the straps. It's not going to do it. Although it does trigger uh, what's called iris. It, it triggers uh, uh, um, um, uh, energies, light, energy, divine energies. It does because that's the whole point of the mitzvah. But the experience itself depends on the mind's focus of what you are doing. Before you put on tefillin, I read two pages, and it shows me the intent. Fine. I, I should have. You should so have. that's the intent. Fine. I, I, again, so are you having it? I read it, yeah. Reading, reading and intending are two different things. Right? It's two different things. A lot of people read about intent, but there's what's called focus, where you actually enter the world of that thought. And that thought becomes real, not just, uh, you know, an imagination kind of thing. But anyway, um, so a person can experience a spiritual event, but only in the sense of it is an extremely heightened physical feeling. But it has to be physical because we are rooted and connected to the physical body. So what, what is the definition so this, I would say, you know, is the experience of spirituality that we can have, you see. So like I say, in the olden days, it used to be prophecy or the real Ruach HaKodesh. That was the experience of which, but even then, it was a physical experience. But it, its intensity and its quality is something that is unknown to us, you see. So you could look at that as spirituality. Now, that's the emotional aspect of spirituality, you see. But the real concept of spirituality, in terms of what determines that, is what you think about God. Who do you think God is, you see? And um, what I was going to say is that the essential determinant of, of, of the uh, spiritual thought is the Enoid Muvadoi. Knows that the only thing that truly exists is God, period, in an absolute sense. You know, if you can think about that and focus on that where it becomes real, you see, then you will experience something which can be said is the, the consequence of that thought. See, remember, in the end, what you're trying to experience, right? is a very heightened feeling of attachment to God, you see. Uh, and there are different ways of generating that. 
In the old days, it was through Nevoah prophecy, Ruch HaKodesh, you see. Uh, but today you can do that, although it won't be the same experience. But what you can do is focus on the whatever mitzvah you're doing, where it becomes real. Not easy. Where it becomes real. And then you will experience something which is a heightened, extreme physical experience. That's the, the, what you can have. And that's what tzaddikim get. You know, if they get into it, they become what's called vacus. You know, all of a sudden they feel as if they're attaching to God in whatever physical experience that is. But that's what it is. So that physical experience is spirituality. But it has to have something to do with God. But experiencing spirituality uh, the way, uh, you know, as if you were really experiencing spirituality is is unknown. And because we're physical beings. But like I say, it is possible to have a spiritual feeling, relatively speaking. Let's call it relative spirituality. You know, the physical body can experience some extreme form of emotion. Um, and we can call that vacus or attachment to God, longing for God. That can happen. Would yeah. simcha be the natural result of such a vacus? Well, simcha is, is a happiness of... The asphus. Who? certainly couldn't be the opposite. If someone reached that, I would imagine simcha would be the natural outcome. Joy. That, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. To experience... Depression. You to experience... Well, okay. yeah, to experience that type of ecstasy and joy. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Look, think about this, right? A guy takes LSD. <laughs> think about that, right? Takes LSD or he takes co- cocaine. I mean, whatever the guy's like. You know, today... <coughs> oxycodone. Oxy what? Oxycodone. Yeah, oxycodone and so on and so forth, you know? No, no, no. Uh... They are experiences. And I mean, you know, and, and, and people who take that can swear that it's spiritual. You know what I'm saying? So what are they experiencing really? Because the brain has the capacity, right, to experience unbelievable, pleasurable experiences. What generated that isn't Kedusha. It's not God. It's chemicals. You see? Because you, if you can invade the brain with a certain chemical molecular structure... Guess what? It's going to give you a beyond belief kind of experience, whatever that is, you know. But it must be so intense that everybody's running to get uh, more more coke. You see, uh, but that's not spiritual experiences. That is an experience which is generated by a chemical, and it is an incredibly intense experience. That's what it is. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I I remember I once. Uh, I, 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 think I think I lifted something that was too heavy, you know, uh, and uh, all of a sudden I had tremendous pain in my side, you know. So I went to the doctor and he gave me um, codeine with something else, you know. Uh, no, no, it, it was codeine, right? I forgot that it, it has another name. Uh, something with codeine. Anyway, you know, and that was the only time I ever took a, 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 a narcotic. 
I mean, I, it took away the pain. You know, it was incredible. But it wasn't the pain. Did the rabbi go into Shemayim with it? <laughs> no, but what, what I... <clears throat> What I experienced with that, it not only took away the pain, I mean, I was the real, that's why he's prescribing the thing, you know? Because I had this tremendous, and then thank God the, the, uh, the pain went away, I mean, uh, you know, after a couple of days. But what was so unusual, and I had never experienced it like that, you know? It, there was a tremendous sense of, of relaxation. It was incredible. I, you know, I, I've never experienced a physical type of feeling. You know, it was unbelievably pleasurable. I have to say, you know? Uh, and you know, I took only enough for that couple of days to get rid of the pain of, of it was a muscle I probably pulled a muscle whatever but I remember I told the doctor I said what was it you gave me <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying so uh, you know I, 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 it was like incredible it's just a pain reliever it gives you an incredible sense of of, of, of uh, relaxation Unbelievable! It would just I've never had that, you know. You know, I mean, I wasn't going to ask him for some more stuff, you know. But I, I can see why guys are into this, you know, because everybody's tense, everybody's wound up, everybody's going crazy with this world, because he's got all kinds of worries and all that. And you take this kind of stuff, and then you just fly away. That's why they're legalizing marijuana. Yeah, that's because because the governor wants to take it also. It's usually, you know, but I so I can say, but this is purely a chemically generated. Uh, it's a narcotic, chemical sense of incredible feeling of pleasure. You know what I'm saying? It uh, I, that was the only time I ever took this stuff. You know, but it was so unique that you know. Anyway, someone told me on but, Shabbos you gotta be happy. It's what? On Ch someone told me that on Shabbos you have to be happy. So, how do you do that? I don't understand what... Someone told me... No, no, I understand what you said, but what does that have to do with what I'm saying? What it has to do with... Yeah. To, to induce an emotion just like that. No, you wait. you got to work at it. I mean, you got to really, really... You have to really relate to Shabbos. You have to think about Shabbos and, and to relate to it. And you can get that. I mean, you can, you know, you can get that if you really connect to that. If Shabbos... But I, but I, wait, 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 I just want, I have to finish. But what I realized, it's an incredibly, it, that when I took that narcotic, it's one of these incredible thing, you know, but it's all chemicals, you see. But in the end, it was physical, come on. Somehow the drug, uh, you know, uh, or, or was it, Vicocodine, come on, you know. Vicodin, I think it was Vicodin, you know. You know, Vicodin, whatever, you know. Uh, but in the end, it was physical. It simply is able to reconfigure sections of the brain, right? That will give you incredible pleasure. You're still you know, <laughs> it was just so unusual, you know. Um, but um, no, and, and you know, and I can understand that terrible why why guys get addicted to this stuff, you know, because it's just like what it does. It transfers you to another dimension, another reality. It's really what is emotionally, you know, and, and it was just incredible, you know. But anyway, uh, but it's still physical. It's not spiritual, right? Even though guys would swear that when they take coke or this called vicocodine, whatever, right? Oh, I'm having a spiritual experience. What they're really having is a beyond belief narcotic experience that just reconfigures some of the chemicals in the brain, which the brain can give you, and that's it, you know. 
I remember they once did an experiment, uh, it was famous with rats, you know, where they hooked up uh, electrodes to the rat's brain, you know, the pleasure centers, you know, and the rat would only experience that if you pressed the lever, you know what I'm saying? And if you pressed the lever, it would connect, right? And they hooked it up to the pleasure centers in the brain, and wow, zingo, you know? And what happened was, with the rat, he died. Why? Because he just kept pressing the lever. You see? And he didn't take out any time to eat. Yeah, there was one for food. And he, he didn't no, no, it wasn't, but who cares about food? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but, but it was physical, but it just shows you what the brain is capable of, you know? And, and so on, you know? That's what I'm saying, that, but, but if you generate ruchnistiga, spiritual uh, reasons and so on, you know? because of an attachment to mitzvahs, you will experience something which is, again, incredible joy, but it's more than that. It's an emotion of an unbelievable attachment to God. And it, it, and it can happen now, here, but it takes a lot of uh, uh, you know, uh, work to do that. But that's the spiritual experience that you can have, you know? So what a spiritual experience basically is, is that the generator of that experience, right, is a thinking about God, about the mitzvahs, about anything you want to think, but it has to be God-related, you see, because then the repercussions of that is not just experiencing this spiritual feeling, so to speak, but it will trigger incredible amount of lights in the spheres and so on, and bring tremendous amount of tikkun, to the universe and so on, you know? You're not on that level. Just doing the mitzvah isn't even a diminished level. You're reaching something, no? Yes, yeah, you are. The problem is most people don't think when they do a mitzvah. Think about it, it's rote. Most people, when they do mitzvahs, do it out of routine or rote. There's no thinking, you see. In order to generate these types of feelings Right? You have to be in the reality of the mitzvah. You have to think about what you're doing to understand the mitzvah, the greatness of the mitzvah, and so on. You, you have to think spiritual ideas, and then you can experience these things. Look, tzaddikim experience this. People who are oivdim, oiveid, people who work at this, do experience these incredible spiritual experiences, which are physical but relatively spiritual. That's why I want to bring out, you know. But they do experience this, yeah. Before There's a tremendous... Uh, anyway. Before you read anything, you got to say a blessing. Yes. Saying that, I know God created this. Thank you. Yes, but there are people who are focused on the brocha. When they say, blessed are you God, right? That created the fruit of the tree or whatever, right? Mm. They are thinking of God, you see? And they think of God and they are saying, am I really blessing Him? Am I really thanking Him? And they are thanking Him. You see, look, the, in the, the Gemara brings down Hasidim Rishonim used to meditate for three hours before they would Davin Shemon Esrei. Why? Because they didn't just want to say the words. They wanted to focus on the reality of Davin Shemon Esrei, which is standing in front of God, right? There's an audience. Most people don't understand. When you are davening, you're in an audience. You've now entered the throne room, you see? Most people don't think about that when they daven Shmon Esrei, right? No. But, well, 
but what they think about is that they're in the throne room, but if you can make that into a reality, you have ascended to a place that most people have never ascended to. If you can actually see the throne room and actually feel, make into a concentrated reality that you are talking to God, it's a different Shmon Esrei, yeah. Anyway, but, that, but that's the idea. That's, that's how you can, do, you can do it. You need to take the mind into the mitzvah, the kavanah. And if you do it often enough, you will achieve a tremendous ecstatic experience, which you can label as spiritual, relatively speaking. But it still goes to the physical body. But it's generated by an attachment to God through the mind. Very important idea. But it requires a lot of work. You see? When I say Shmon Esrei, and I take three steps back, I, intellectually, I'm saying to myself, I'm leaving Olam Hazat. And when I take three steps forward, in my mind, I say, now I'm approaching God. Okay. To talk to Him. Good. Very but good. It, it's intellectual. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, up there in the... But the, the but, I mean, no, 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 but the question is how real do you think you're in? You could think something, but it's only a thought. You want to make that thought a reality. That takes work. That's why tefillah is an avodah. You know, tefillah you know, is an avodah shabalev. Why is an avodah shabalev? What do you mean, belave? What it really means, right, is that when you daven, you say the words, but that's not the avoid of tefillah, is just to say the words. It's to make the, the event of davening real. And that means you have to focus with your mind on what you're doing, and eventually it becomes a reality. Yeah, that's what happens, right? And when you can daven where, there's a, where the mind has achieved that this experience is a reality, you are up there. And the, and the feelings that you have then is superlative. It's incredible. You see? But that, 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 but that, but that it needs mind. That's why it's avoidish to believe. It's an avoid in the heart, which means basically the mind. You need to make the tefillah a reality. That takes a while to do. It takes yeah, real yeah, focus. Yeah, what was that? That you're in the throne room. That reality. Yeah, that, yeah, well, that's reality. Correct, yeah. That's why many times it's very disheartening to see, you know, guys come late. How many guys come late for davening? You know what I'm saying? Think about that. You know, they come in after 15 minutes, 20 minutes. The guy's up to Yishtabach, right? And the guy just walks in and now he's putting on film, right, to tell you, what are you doing? How are you going to get into the reality of Shimon Esrei when you just walked in by Yishtabach, Right? I mean, you know, five minutes by Shimon Esrei, you mean, are you putting on your film? How do you do that? And the problem is because these people don't understand that they are in the throne room with an audience of God, you know? The question is, if they had a meeting, you know, with some high, you know, uh, king of some country, would they come late? Of course not. It's a reality there, you know? But they, people come late all the time. I see guys coming late like clockwork, you know, they always come late. So I, I understand that, you know. Either you're taking tefillah to what it really is. So what are you doing coming late? 
You can't possibly have any kavona davening Shmona Esrei when you're starting to put on film by Yishtabach. It's over with, you know? Because to them, davening is really just lip service. It's really what it is. If they were honest with themselves, they would just say, hey, it's a ritual. I just got to get through it. Right? But for those people who take davening seriously, you know, a guy, I feel a guy should come at least 20 minutes before the davening starts. Because you want to get into the, what's called the mental framework of where you are and what you want to do. Sometimes you know, but uh, that, that's true, but that's the avoider. The avoider is eventually, you'll always have it. Because the mind gets used to uh, a, a, an experience over and over again. Anyway, so I, I'm, try, so I'm trying to explain, explain what spirituality is, you know, by going through the different prophetic states, Navu and Wachkoidish, and so on, you know. But ultimately, like I said, it is a physical experience, but there are incredible amount of variations of a physical experience, you see. And the one that is spiritual, the one physical experience that is spiritual is that way if you focus very heavily on the reality of the mitzvah. Then that physical experience, I believe, is truly different than the other physical experiences. And, but it does require work. Can go and get there? Yes. A goy can become spiritual. No question about that. God has not denied anybody who wants to talk to him. It's an interesting thing, you know. As it says, uh, it's in Tonit Velio. A goy can come in, a goy, uh, well, we know that because, you know, uh, Bilam. But, uh, but that was Tuma. A goy can become a Navi because he has, he has a nefesh and yoyna. He doesn't have the other parts, but once he has a nefesh yoyna, which means he has a real spiritual soul, then he, that, that, that's it. Then he is what's called a member, he could be a member of Oilam Haba. Yeah? What way did he reach the level of Moshe Who? In terms of the access to God. He was in Bria looking at the... Yeah, Bria, yeah. From the, the Derech Toma. Yeah, that's why it says, Lekom, Yisrael Kamosha. But there was, you know, but, but there was a Navi as great as him in his ability to access the divine. That was Bilam. The music. How did the music help him reach Nevoon? Who? Navi said, bring me the harp. The wise in heaven, the wise with the kings, the Hoshaphat, they brought the Navi and he said, play me music to bring the prophetic state. Yeah, because music is one of the music in many ways like an opioid. An opioid can attack the brain or attract, uh, and, and can reconfigure the brain, right, chemically, right? Music can do that also. There's some, many times, if you hear certain types of music, it, you can transcend, yeah. Music has the ability, that sound waves have the ability to, which will reconfigure in many ways Whatever's happening in the brain. The shama or the brain? What? The music's touching the brain or the shama? It has to go through the brain. But music can do it. There is an so end so, so praying to God. Look, me, music, music can bring you to tears. <laughs> there is intense praying to God, which you're talking about. But it's taking place at Las Vegas blackjack tables. There are people praying to God <laughs> intensely. Yeah, but they're praying to God to sin. That's the difference. 
I don't think God's listening to them. He hears them, but he ain't listening. He ain't listening. What? So what was your definition for spirituality? Is a, is a physical experience of intensity, a certain type of physical experience uh, that comes as a result of being generated by a, uh, uh, the mind focusing on God. You described the effect of spirituality. Yes. But you didn't define spirituality. No, I well, well, I did in a certain no, I did. I said that is the f spiritual experience you can have. So it is spiritual through the physical medium. That's you know. Yeah, but what is spirituality? What uh, is an attachment, attachment to God? 